Hey, if you got a Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 16, we are continuing our series here called Stranger Things, where we're looking at some of the bizarre stories in the Bible. I just believe if it's weird, it's probably important. So I don't know what your philosophy on the Bible is, but that's what we're doing. We're taking some of those strange topics and we're spending a few weeks seeing what God has to say about them. In fairness, I don't know necessarily how we weird today's story is as much as it's just hard to reconcile theologically. Uh, it's a little bit difficult as you'll find out, but it's a message I'm calling sometimes God. Don't know if you've been there where sometimes it feels like God should do this and instead he does that. And sometimes God, I thought that you would understand I'm on your team and the internet would work. And then the first service, the internet decided that it was tired and didn't want to do what it was supposed to do. But uh, sometimes God. To that point, First Samuel chapter 16, we're picking it up in verse number 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Circle, star, underline, highlight, whatever you do. From the Lord. Saul's attendant said to him, see an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the liar. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I've seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine looking man. This is sounding rather familiar to me. I don't know what this speaks well and a fine. And I love this passage. And the Lord is with him. Whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. Now, don't know about you. I've got some questions. Number one, what? Like how it says uh, God sent an evil spirit to torment Saul. Is that not problematic to anybody else? That God now is sending evil spirits like that's got to be a typo the theological editors must have missed that one should have never trusted simon and schuster to publish this bible we should have went with somebody that and in fairness there's a lot to keep straight theologically so i can understand how they would have missed that one but four times it says that god is responsible who for sending this evil spirit. So if nothing else, they're at least consistent or maybe it's actually God who sent it. Oh, it is. And it's not the only time that happens in scripture. Anybody remember a guy named Job and the Satan, the accuser who travels the world looking for someone to provoke? He shows up before God and uh, God allows him to torment Job, to make a whole thing, a whole bunch of things in Job's life go wrong. How about the Apostle Paul? The, uh, God shows up to a prophet named Ananias and says to him, I'm going to show Paul how much he must suffer for my name. 
And then what happens? First Corinthians 12, we find out that Paul has an uh, evil spirit tormenting him and God refuses to take it away. What about Jesus? Matthew chapter 4, uh, spirit that takes him out into the wilderness in order to be tempted. I almost taught you a message out of First Kings chapter 22. You want to talk about weird, this is weird. You should go read it. I'll give you a brief little recap. There's a scene where the multitudes of heaven are standing before God. Who are they? I have no idea, which is why we're not talking about it today, because that's weird. Multitudes of God. Actually, I feel like I do know who the multitudes of gods are. I just didn't think I could talk about it in 30 minutes. And so maybe I should do a series on it sometime. But these multitude of heaven are standing before God and God says, who, uh, who will go provoke? Who will go entice King Ahab for me? And one of the multitudes of heaven, a member of the multitude of heaven says, I'll do it. And God says, how, how are you going to do it? He says, I'll become a deceptive spirit in the mouth of King Ahab's advisors. And he won't listen to the one true prophet of God in the kingdom. Instead, he'll listen to his advisors and he'll go out into battle and be killed. And God says, yeah, that'll work. And he's like, go do that. And we're like, what in the world? Y'all should read your Bibles more often because there's some crazy stuff in there. And so we're going to talk about why God sends an evil spirit and why it's good news that God is ultimately the one responsible for sending the evil spirit. But let's chat about a couple things first. I want you to notice the distinction that is made in verses 22 and verses 14. It says, the Lord is with David but absent from Saul. Uh, The Lord is with David, but he has departed from Saul. Why is that a big deal? Because you'll catch what you're close to. Jot that down. You'll catch what you're close to. Uh, You already knew that though, right? I mean, if we've learned anything from COVID, it's uh, (laughs) going to catch what you're close to. And so uh, the same thing is true for you spiritually. You'll catch what you're close to. It's why the Bible repeatedly cautions you about who it is that you hang out with. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Proverbs 22.24 Don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people or you will learn to be like them. And what happens when you're like them? Somebody help me and you'll endanger your soul because you'll catch what you're close to. And we know from the preceding scripture that Saul has repeatedly disobeyed the Lord. He started off humble and sensitive to God's leading, but then he got a little taste of triumph. He got a little taste of success. And he started to like how it made him feel to get the approval of others when he was king. And like many people today, Saul was more interested in career success than he was in character success. And when you start living for the approval of others, you'll die by the same. And Saul ultimately became filled 
with ungodly decisions, and his ungodly decisions led to his untimely death. It started when he assumed a priestly role, and he began offering sacrifices before he went out to battle, except he wasn't supposed to do that. God said not to. Then he disobeyed God's instructions and did not completely destroy a wicked city called Amalek and the Amalekites, and a a king named King Agag. And then he personally tried to kill David, 1 Samuel 18. He became paranoid and ordered other people to kill David, 1 Samuel 19. He eventually tried to persuade his son Jonathan to assist in killing David, but Jonathan was like, yo, that's my boy. I'm not trying to help you kill him. And so then Saul started uh, being violent with Jonathan, 1 Samuel 20. Saul orders the priests of Nob who helped David and his men. Uh, He orders them murdered, 1 Samuel 22. Shortly before his death, uh, God does not answer his prayer so he uh, obtains help from a witch, 1 Samuel 28, and ultimately Saul commits suicide and dies in great shame, 1 Samuel 31. David, on the other hand, What's the Bible say about him? He's a man after God's own heart. And he caught what he was close to. And for the most part, it served him well. And even when David didn't do what he was supposed to, and he was confronted in his sin, he had a humble spirit. And he repented and was remorseful. And it's why we need to carefully analyze what we're close to. And who we're close to. And what that path is ultimately going to lead us toward. The brother of Jesus, James, talks about some of the dangers in what you're close to. And he writes, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Hold up. I thought you just said that he's the one that sent the evil spirit. I did say that. But did you notice that he did not send an evil spirit to tempt him, but rather to torment him? That's worse. Like, what are you talking about? Uh, no, I t- I'll tell you why it's better. I promise we'll get there. That it's better that it's uh, not temptation. Verse 14, but each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire because of what you're close to and you're enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it's fully grown gives birth to death. This is the main difference between David and Saul. David would largely execute that sin that he'd brought into his life before it led him to death. Saul, on the other hand, continued to go down the path of death. The same path that if you choose to, you can go down as well. And oh sure, Satan might be the one who baits the hook, but you're the one who bites the hook. That's what I just said. You're dragged away by your own evil desire. You think you know what you want in life. You think you know better than God. That's why you got to be careful about what you think about. Because certain thoughts will lead to more thoughts, and more thoughts will start leading to daydreaming. And as you start to daydream, you come up with ideas of how you can act this out, and then those daydreams become actions, and those actions, if they're uh, wrong, they'll uh, become sinful decisions. And like we talked about last week, sinful decisions have drastic consequences. That's what we learned with Moses. So here's what I want you to write down. Moral compromise compromises you. Moral compromise will compromise you. And most people are where they are because of what they value. And what you value in life is what you will compromise for. 
It's why temptation is so strong, because the devil is working at what you value. He doesn't do anything that's more powerful than you, but he knows what you value. Do you? Do you know exactly what it is in life that you value? So back to Saul. I know a lot of people will read this text and think to themselves, man, I'm glad I can't be manipulated like that. But um, aren't you? Right? Do you not have a little digital pacifier in your pocket right now? And that's actually what it is that you value? I'm less and less convinced that Americans in particular understand this idea of value. Uh, Because, for example, between 1948 and 1954, psychologists asked 10,000 adolescents per year whether or not they considered themselves to be very important. At that point, between those six years uh, uh, of those 10,000 adolescents, 12% said yes. 12% said, yeah, I'm a very important person. By 1989, when this study ended, that number had jumped to 80%. 80% of adolescents said, yeah, I'm a very important person. Uh, if the study would still be going on today, that number would be hovering somewhere around 99% because everybody thinks they're super important. Because in a recent poll about jobs, they asked elementary school kids what job they would want when they grew up. In China, the top two jobs, astronaut, and teacher. In these very important United States, the top two jobs, YouTube star and professional athlete. That's one and two. And uh, they asked uh, graduating seniors in America uh, what their number one goal was. This was just last year. Number one goal uh, for graduating high school seniors to be famous. Like, this is the trajectory that we're on. I'm important. I should be famous. I've gotten a trophy every year of my life, and life is entirely about me. And we, as Americans, value comfort and convenience over everything. And I'll tell you what, new parents, do not make that kid's life center around everything that you do in your life the world will teach them to be narcissistic enough. If there's anything that you can do to help your kids, teach them that life is not all about them. I was just having a conversation with some folks who do not go to New Anthem, so I can share this story with you. Because they were lamenting the fact that their kids have just gone off to college, and they're finally empty nesters, and they're like, we're so bored. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, they're like, we have nothing to do. And I was like, what about each other, right? I mean, aren't you married? Like, this does not seem confusing to me. This seems like the greatest day in the history of the world. You know how much money I have to pay to have my children taken away so that I can have some time with my wife? But... Uh, What I wanted to tell them was child-centered homes produce non-centered marriages. But I'm not their pastor, so I didn't. But I told you, okay? So uh, that was free. Now, um, with this idea of value and what you actually value being that digital pacifier that's in your pocket, uh, is that not manipulating you every day of your life? How often are you bored 
or tired or lonely. And what is the very first thing you do? You take that out and start sucking at the pacifier of life because it makes you feel better. And what I want you to know is there are literally thousands and thousands of software engineers who are being paid billions and billions of dollars in order to keep you sucking at that teat of technology. And I want you to really think about that. Think about how your attentions are now a product to be sold. See, you're used to being the consumer in life. That's not the case anymore. Your concentration is being sold to the highest bidder and you are constantly being studied to see if you can be manipulated. And if you think I'm making any of that up, you should go watch the documentary, The Social Dilemma. In case you don't have time, I'll give you the 30 second rundown. Creators of apps including Facebook and Instagram, say, yeah, we're basically trying to get you addicted to your phone. And we're strategically delivering outrage to you in the forms of different news stories, depending on what information we've collected on you, thousands and thousands of pieces of information. Every time you swipe a credit card, they know what you're buying and they're trying to uh, manipulate you and your political outcome. And they're trying to hook you to your phone because the more money they make by selling advertisements and people are paying for your attentions. And if that doesn't terrify you for you, it should terrify you for your kids and your grandkids, because this is now the world that we're living in. But that's the bad news. We're all like Saul myself included. We all got distractions and manipulations and we're being pulled a thousand different directions and we'll compromise certain areas of our morality because we think that this is what we want and we have no idea what we actually want and we all make bad decisions and if those decisions are not confronted, they will lead us further and further into self-reliance and vanity and narcissism. Because moral compromise compromises you. Who else is glad they came to church today? (laughs) You guys, this is the worst possible message I've... So let me give you some good news because there's fantastic news. Write this down. Sometimes God works through people. Sometimes God works through power. Sometimes God works through people. Sometimes God works through power. Notice that God first works through Saul's attendants. More specifically, their words. They say, hey boss, we've started to notice a little bit of a change in you these past few months. You've become a real jerk. And we need to figure it out. Maybe we could get someone in here who could play the liar, and that might help. Who else is curious about this magical liar? All of a sudden, I'm feeling like Trolls World Tour is uncomfortably realistic because that liar was magical. This liar, if you haven't seen it, don't worry about it. Uh, But the liar is what actually ends up making Saul feel better. It works. And when God uses... People, sometimes he uses their words, like he did with the attendants. Sometimes when God uses people, he he uses their actions, like he did with David. It was David's actions and playing the liar that helped Saul. Yet in both cases, listen, this is so good. Somebody should be like, "Mm, that's good as soon as I tell you, because this is so good. In both 
cases. God created the answer before there was a problem. Thank you. I was waiting because God created the answer before there was a problem. I'll show you. The answer was what? The attendance in David. Before there's a problem, the evil spirit. Why is that so good? Two ways. Number one, because your answer for whatever problem it is that you're going through, God's already created that answer. That answer is already out there for you. Secondly, why it's good news, God created you. You might be the answer to somebody else's problem. Amen, somebody. Ephesians 2.10 is starting to make a lot more sense, where it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which what? God prepared in advance for you to do. You were created to be the answer to somebody else's problem. You are the answer. Oh, sure, your parents said you were a problem, but don't listen to that. <laughs> they just didn't see you uh, in, step into your purpose yet. But God created you to be an answer. You should know that every time God wants to right a wrong, He sends a person. Yeah. Doesn't He? And He uh, needed to help the Israelites and right the wrong that had been done to them. And so he sends in Moses. And even prior to that, he sent in Joseph. And he sends in the judges. And he sends in the kings. And he sends in the prophets. And God wanted to right the wrong that he had created in the Northeast with the Patriots. And he sent us Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> right? God's chosen quarterback to right the wrong that had been happening and they're battling the evil empire of Las Vegas today so God be with them the tyrannical reign of the New England Patriots but uh, (laughs) seriously look look God wanted to fix the problem of sin and he sent the person of Jesus and if there's any writing or wrong, perhaps the best example of God using a person and power is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. But maybe you're so busy looking for your answer to your problem, you're missing the fact that you're the answer to somebody else's problem. Or catch this, maybe you've overlooked your answer because like David was consistently overlooked, And when Samuel showed up to anoint a king, old daddy Jesse didn't even think to go get David. He's constantly overlooked. And perhaps you've been overlooking the answer to your life. Because you're looking at what the world looks at. And the same people you've spent your whole life avoiding are the very same people Jesus spent his whole life engaging. And maybe that weird person at school maybe that annoying person at work maybe that's who God is sending to be the answer to your problem you just got to be willing to see how God sees so sometimes God will use people sometimes God will use power in this case he used a person with the power of music our text tells us that music is what provided Saul his relief that's kind of interesting I mean, I knew David's slingshot was a weapon. I didn't know his lyre was a weapon, too. 
Yet as I started digging into this, I found some interesting facts about the power of music. Did you know that scientists have found that music stimulates more parts of your brain than any other human function? In fact, if music is so stimulating uh, that they found uh, they can actually help stroke victims who have lost the ability to speak. They've learned uh, to use music to help verbal function and how to teach those people to speak again. It's a technique known as melodic intonation therapy. And it uses music to control certain parts of your brain into taking over the parts that are damaged. Because if you can sing, you can speak. You've maybe heard of Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan and the Mongol Empire uh, conquered pretty much the known world at that point. They killed more than 10% of the entire world's population. What you might not have realized is that the Mongols are almost entirely illiterate. And so they communicated their important battle strategies through song. Because you can remember a song. Think about it in your own life. How many song lyrics do you know? Even if you know the wrong lyrics, how hard is it to remember and figure out the actually right lyrics? You know what I'm talking about? Think about how many times you've heard a song and immediately you were teleported back to years ago to some memory that you had when you heard that song for the very first time. This doesn't happen with our eyes because your ear has a head start over your eyes. Your eyes don't see anything until you're born. Your ears, they've actually found out that you develop an auditory system between 17 and 19 weeks. A researcher named Sheila Woodward, she altered an underwater microphone and convinced some pregnant mothers to let her put uh, the microphone in the uterus. And she began researching what babies could hear. She found out that babies could hear the sound of their mother's heartbeat. They found that they could hear uh, blood pumping through the, the mother's body. And in fact, the faster a mom walks, they've discovered that babies will like faster music when they're born, depending how fast the mom walks. They discover that babies can hear when a mother sings. The microphone picked up the music that would be playing if it was loud enough. In whatever room the mom was in, the baby could hear that music, which is why I'm a strong proponent to listening to Queen as loud as you can when you're pregnant <laughs> and get some flogging Molly going and you'll be good. Um, but, but catch this. They discovered that babies can distinguish between a male and a female voice. When your child is born, it knows mom and it knows dad just by the sound of the voice. There's power in music. There's power in what you hear. And perhaps the easiest way for you to redecorate your life today is by getting into some powerful music. And listening to some good music, some positive music. This is why I'm so passionate about New Anthem becoming a musical hub. It's why we named the church what we did. It's why our logo is what it is. New song. You put a new song in my mouth. A new anthem of praise to our God who lifted us up out of a pit of despair. This is what the message that we want to send out to the entire world. Now, before we talk about some good news and why it's ultimately great news that God is who sent this evil spirit, let me 
first address some of the other questions that I had. So I'll give you a little sneak peek behind the curtain of sermon preparation for me. So anytime I read a text, I feel like we're going to uh, I'm going to preach on. Uh, I got a little yellow legal pad. I start writing out observations, j- just basic, obvious stuff. Uh, s- the Lord had departed from Saul. The Lord was with David. Okay, that's an easy observation. We read that right in the text. I make a list of observations. Then I start making a list of questions. I'm like, well, why? Why did God depart from Saul? Why was God with David? And I write down all kinds of different questions. And I ride each one of those waves as far as it'll take me. And sometimes you guys just get a single wave of the message. And other times you get the whole storm and hurricane. And you're like, I have no idea what I just even heard. That was way too much information. And so depending how it all works out, you're welcome or I'm sorry, whichever one (laughs) that you're feeling like today. But one of the questions that I began asking myself, well, what happened to Saul? Like, was he actually saved? Because I, I don't feel like God uh, would send an evil spirit. Somebody would say, what about, um, did he lose his salvation then? Or how did this whole thing play itself out? And to answer that, remember how I was telling you Saul went and visited a witch. Uh, she was actually a necromancer. Uh, she spoke to the dead, a medium, however you, you feel like that's helpful to you. Uh, but one of the commands given by God to Moses was that you're never supposed to do that. Leviticus 19.31. Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritualists for you will be defiled by them. And Saul does it anyway. And he asks this medium to bring up the prophet Samuel from the dead so he can have a conversation with him. And Samuel actually shows up. And this medium is so freaked out, she starts begging Samuel not to kill her because she was expecting a demon to show up because that's what had happened every other time. And this, and pro, the prophet Samuel rises from the dead, addresses Saul and Jonathan who's with him, and says that, Saul, you and your sons will die in battle tomorrow, but you're going to be with me in paradise. That's 1 Samuel 28, 19. You can read it for yourself. So we know Saul ends up in heaven, and therefore we can assume that God must forgive all sin past, present, and future because Saul kills himself. And so God forgives all sin. But the key verse that I really need you to understand happens way before this in 1 Samuel 10, 9, and it reads that God changed Saul's heart. I point that out because the question before you this morning is, has God changed your heart? Jesus makes this perfectly clear when he has a conversation with one of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees is like, what really do we have to do? And Jesus says, you got to be born again. He's like, how am I supposed to do that? He says, God's going to give you a new heart. And it's even talked about in the Old Testament, for that matter. The prophet Ezekiel writes it down like this in Ezekiel 36. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. See, Saul's life should remind us that as Christians, we are capable of living like non-Christians. It does not mean that we'll be sentenced to hell. What it does mean is we're in danger of God's discipline. 
and you're in danger of losing eternal rewards that God has promised to those who are obedient and faithful. And the longer we refuse to listen to the Lord, the worse the consequences will be for us. That was the whole point of last week. God is so serious about your image bearing him on earth. That's why he created you, to bear his image so you would reflect him to the rest of the world. God is so serious about that that even Jesus, when he was preaching, was like, hey man, it's better to gouge out your eye and end up in heaven with one eye. It's better to chop off your arm and end up in heaven with only one arm. And sure, that's probably hyperbole because we know Jesus is more concerned about your heart and you being born again but I think this is actually why it's great news that it's ultimately God who sent the evil spirit, okay? So let me try and answer that question. Let me remind you that anytime you read the Bible, the only presupposition you should have in your mind, so the only thing that you should know when you open up the Bible is that God is good. God is only good. So anytime I read something, I thought, this does not make sense. How is God good in this text? It does not seem like God is good in this. How is, because God is only good. That's the presupposition that we should all have. And so when we start asking ourselves, well, how is a good God going to allow an evil spirit to torment somebody? We learn that where it came from is where it should lead to. Okay, so let me say it this way. The evil spirit is what created the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to show his power. So that is our lesson, that in life, when we're encountering something difficult, whatever we're going through, it should lead us back to God. Now, I did not have you write that down because that is not ultimately the lesson that we learn from Saul. Saul is being punished. My crack team of legal experts pointed this out to me on Monday as I'm walking through the message with them. And they're like, you know, that's not actually what that text is saying, right? I was like, no, what do you mean? And they're like, well, this is all actually being punished. This is why God uh, sent the evil spirit. It's to raise up King David because Saul's no longer allowed on the throne. But I can make a pretty strong biblical case that if Saul would have repented, God would have heard him because that's the entire point of most of the Old Testament and all of the New Testament. James 4.8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But this is also why it's important for you to understand what the word torment means. God sent an evil spirit to torment Saul. It's the Hebrew word biaat. It means to make afraid. So watch this. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord right? So God is sending an evil spirit to make Saul afraid in order to lead him into the wisdom of God. That's what this text is teaching us. But Saul rejects it by over and over not doing what God wanted. And ultimately, God is using David to raise him up to be the next king. Now, here's what else I think is important. This is the primary point of this text. This is the lesson that I really want us to lean in on. This is why I called it sometimes God, because sometimes God gives justice. Sometimes God grants mercy. Sometimes God gives justice, like he did with Saul, and punished him, and took him off of the throne. And sometimes God grants mercy, like he did with David. See, one of those questions that I began asking about Saul and his life, and Jonathan, his son, and what I really struggled with was Jonathan, seemingly, does everything right in the whole First Samuel narrative. You know what happens? 
he still dies in battle, is killed. He did everything right, still dies. Moses, seems to do everything right, doesn't get in the promised land, killed on the mountain. The only thing that I could come up with, he's God and I'm not. Sometimes God gives justice. Sometimes God grants mercy. And the reason it's good news that you showed up to church this morning, and the reason it's good news that those of you who are watching online, is because you are an outpouring of God's mercy today. Amen. He allowed you another day on planet Earth to hear about His beauty, hear about His power, to hear about you might be an answer to somebody's problem, to hear about maybe some things that you need to change in your life. Because God is still moving and working and is giving you an opportunity to draw closer to Him and be more like Him. Because mm-hmm. in all things, God is only good. It's all in like this. The mercy that you have this morning is likely to give you an opportunity to make some decisions today that will impact your tomorrow. Because if we learn anything, it's that we should lean into that. That we should not compromise. That that's going to compromise us. That you're going to catch what you're close to. So who are you close to? What are you close to? What voices are you listening to? Now, sometimes God might want to use you. Sometimes God might want to use somebody else to impact you. So every head bowed, every eye closed. God, I'm asking you to do what only you can do. And speak to us in a powerful way. God, may, may your word be the power. And if I'm the person this morning that can help, then so be it. But God, moreover, we want you to move. We come to hear from you. What is it that you want us to hear? There are decisions that we each make in our daily lives. What is that drawing you closer to? What are you valuing? How are you spending your time? Are you open to being used by God to maybe be that person, to maybe demonstrate God's power? God, speak to our hearts. Help us understand all it is that you're trying to do. God, thanks for the power of music. Thanks for the power of people. Please continue working and moving. But God, overall, I'm praying that you do what you promised to do in Ezekiel, that you did to Saul, and that you change our hearts. Get rid of that stony, stubborn heart that's refusing to listen to you. And God, make us new. Help us live for you. God, forgive our sin. Forgive us where we've fallen short. Forgive us where we've tried to live our own way. God, we know life to the full is found in your boundaries. So if there's anybody here this morning, God, or those under the sound of my voice online, we believe that the Spirit is with all of us. He might be speaking to you. Ready, willing, and able to change your heart. So God, forgive us. Make us new. 
change our lives. Let us submit to you and your power. Give us great weeks. Give us great opportunities to serve you. We love you. We praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.